Hello, and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews and my look at the first in the current generation Marvel superhero movies. Note, this isn't the first Marvel movie that was Howard the Duck. Yes, folks, just let that one sink in. Howard the Duck was the first Marvel superhero movie. Now grab a seat, because this one's going to be a long one, folks, as I look at all three Blade movies in one mega podcast. As I was saying, this wasn't the first Marvel movie, superhero movie that is. However, this did kick off the Marvel movies from almost being bankrupt to the superhero juggernauts that we know and love today. With DC crashing out and burning with Batman and Robin. Also with Superman's quest for peace, a complete joke. Other indie superheroes flopping, looking at you, Shadow. So here it is, a hip cool vampire hunter in Blade, a new vampire slayer for a new millennium. Move aside Buffy, there's a new badass in town. Before I dive into this, I will say one interesting piece of information I got off the behind the scenes of this DVD of Blade was originally Blade was supposed to be played by LL Cool J. However, once Wesley Snipes was bored waiting for the Black Panther movie to take off, he was casted and LL was given uh, the chance to face off against Michael Myers in Halloween H2O and cinematic history was written as he was the first black character in Halloween. So grab your full length leather jacket, sunglasses and sword, it's time for Blade. Starring Wesley Stapes, Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson, Nabush Wright, Donald Logue and Yodel Kerr, written by Stephen Norton. Plot. A half-human, half-vampire hunter known as Blade takes on hordes of vampires with help of his old friend Whistler. When Blade finds out bratty vampire Frost wants to end the human race, he gets help from a blood specialist. Can he stop Frost's plan to reinvoke an ancient blood god, or is mankind doomed? The movie opens up, not with the Marvel flipping pages, but a blood-red New Line Cinema logo. Then on to flashback in a 1967 hospital where we see a heavily pregnant black woman with a bite mark in her neck pouring with blood. As she dies, her baby is born. And that baby is Blade. We are then showing shots of Los Angeles as the sun sets in a fast forward motion onto a car with a hot chick in it making it with a dumb guy. Replaying Pretty Woman here. Hmm. As she grabs for his crotch. She then takes him to a slaughterhouse in which I just noticed heavily bandaged human bodies are in bags and amongst all the dead cows. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, she takes him to a rave and why the hell would you go to a rave in a slaughterhouse is beyond me. We find out she is Rachel or Raquel, played by controversial playmate Tracy Lords of John Motors movies Cry Baby and Serial Mom. With the Raven full swing, the DJ sets up the sprinklers as blood pours from the ceiling. This hapless man is beaten up by dozens of vampires. Just before the bloodbath starts, literally, we see Deacon Frost, played by Stephen Dorff of The Gate, Cold Creek Manor and Alone in the Dark fame, push past the one hapless human. Why only one human? Because there's a fucking room full of vampires. Wouldn't he like get eaten off one vampire and that would be him drained? There's like literally thousands of people in this bloody slaughterhouse. But we're gone. As we also see Frost, right hard man, right hand man even, Quinn, played by Donald Logue of ER and Satellite Deadlight, get a blowjob from two skanks. Blade, played by Wesley Snipes of Demolition Man and Pasture 57, fame stops the rave, killing dozens of vampires in his full-length leather jacket, armour, biker look, think, matrix, but even gore. So as the vampires scatter, the foolish ones take on Blade, are turned to Ash Buffy style, with a variety of weapons including a stake-firing shotgun, boomerang blades, and of course good old-fashioned silver stakes. In the panic, we see Frost's girlfriend Mercury, played by Arlie Jover, run for cover as she takes pot shots, blind pot shots at Blade. As Blade is surrounded by Frost goons, led by Quinn, the 90s techno movie kicks in and he kills all the vampires left and right. Cue wire through as Blade leaps and flips everywhere until it's only him and Quinn left. He quickly stakes Quinn to the wall with a fist pump. Really movie, a fist pump. Then he sits in a light and just walks away casual-like. The police show up, so off he runs into the night, leaving the human alone 
behind unharmed. At the morgue, we meet blood specialist Karen, played by Nabush Wright, as she is puzzled by Quinn's blood sample, thinking it is a joke by her ex Curtis, played by Tim Gunn, or Gunn. She laughs it off and then accuses him of being a nitty dickhead. So he takes her to see the dead body, which comes alive and bites him, and then he bites her. Blade Burson to fight off Quinn, cuts his arm off, and then, and then when Blade is shot by security guards, he dies at the window and escapes into the night. Blade returns for Karen's body, which he takes with him, because she looks like his mother, and that's a weird thing right there. He escapes the hospital by throwing her onto a neighbouring roof. And right here is the first start of the Matrix copycat stuff, rip-off stuff, actually. I think the Matrix ripped this thing off because this thing was written several years earlier and the Matrix came out in 1999 and this movie came out in 1998. So who ripped off who? Anyway, as the sun rises, he takes her to his hideout, a rundown power station, where we meet Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson, of multiple westerns and the other star of the movie, Blade 1968 Dodge Charger, charger even, with modifications. Whistler injects her with garlic, which burns off the vampire bite. I never knew this could be happening. That night, at a meeting of the Vampire Council, headed by Dragonetti, played by Udu Kerr of Barbwire and Rob Zombie's Halloween, also the Bugnuts Iron Sky. And many, many more movies. Looks over, pictures of Blade's killing spree. The council chew out Brat Vampire Frost over his nightclubs, saying they are dangerous which of course he disagrees with, Frost telling the council they should be ruling the humans and not hiding in the shadows. Dragonetti shuts him down, saying he's nothing but a halfling and he's a pure vampire. This of course pissed off the brat, so this kicks his plan into action. The next morning, we see Blade going to his witch doctor friend, paying him in stolen watches to get his mysterious serum. Back at a hideout, Karen wakes up and looks around finding Blade's sword, which she touches activating the sword's self-defence, booby trap, hilt and almost loses her bloody finger. She overhears Whistler and Blade talking about her and then watches him inject Blade and why the fuck didn't she run? Only after she watches Blade, Blade even, struggle after his drug hit slash serum hit, does she then run? Whistler tells her she's free to go at any time, but he warns her about the vampires and gives Blade, a new toy of a UV torch, and gives her vampire mace, which is silver and garlic, and then sets her free. As the sun sets, Blade drives her home. Meanwhile, in the basement of the Vampire Council, Dragonetti warns Frost to stay out of this place, as he listens to techno on his CD Walkman. How very 90s. He notices a computer program running trying to decode vampire lore about the blood god then scoffs, saying it's such a waste of time as this language is long dead. When Frost stands up to him, he literally bitch slaps him and then just storms off. Blade drops Karen off at home in broad daylight, even though fucking seconds earlier, the sun was setting. She starts to notice things she hasn't until then, such as people with strange tattoos on her neck, real discreet there, mate, as she heads home. She packs a bag and then walks police officer and vampire familiar Krieger, played by Kevin Patrick Walls of Scream. He is Drew Barrymore's girlfriend. Yes, I know that one's second. He was Drew Barrymore's girlfriend, the one that was tied to the chair and slaughtered. Blade then comes in to rescue Karen by beating up the cop and scaring him off with Blade saying he'll be back for his car as it has blood bags in the back. As the cop runs, Blade tells Karen the world you know is a sugar-coated world and isn't the real world. Sound familiar? This is another Matrix thing, which I'm guessing this was ripped off because, as I said, the original script for Blade was floating in Hollywood for years. This also has a lot of Matrix in it, such as the heroes wearing head-to-toe leather, the world as we know it to be fake, wire foo, etc, etc. Who ripped off bloody who? Anyway, later that night, as the sun sets, uh, quicker than a ray of light style, Blade and Karen stake out the cop car, which the idiot returns for, and a weird fast forward edits later, Blade follows him to a vampire nightclub. Blade tells Karen, as he arms up, holy water and crosses don't do shit, only bullets and silver stakes, handing her a gun as they head into the club to beat up the cop. Inside the club, they find it's a weird fetish club for Japanese businessmen, with young girls dressed in schoolgirl wear. After beating up the cop, 
Blade finds entrance to the underground vampire lair in the fridge. Really? The fridge? You try to say to me the health inspector didn't find this thing and walked in? You get in. In the safe house, they find the vampire archives and a vampire hacker, the obese Pearl, played by Eric Edwards, under a £1,500 suit that was puppeted by five men. And it's here Blade finds out about Frost's plan to resurrect the vampire blood god. Meanwhile, the dumbass cop runs to Frost to tell him about Blade, where he's quickly killed by Frost and tossed aside. It's here we meet Frost's bride, Vanessa, played by Sanhan Luthor of Alien vs Predator, as she rises from her high-tech coffin bed thing. On Frost's late 90s Apple laptop, we see he's finally translated the archives as a 3D model of the bloodletting chamber springs to life, showing how the blood god can be brought back to life. And spot little kid watching Mortal Kombat on TV, a movie I'll be covering later this year. After Frost kills useless cop, he tells Quinn he wants Blade taken alive, and this of course pisses off Quinn, because Blade cut his hand off and set my light, so hmm. Cut to Blade finding computer hacker Pearl in the bowels of the archives. He then uses the UV light to get info from the obese vampire, and thankfully they did not show the dead kid bodies as the original wanted to do so, but it was deemed unnecessary and was cut. Once frying the fat vampire with the UV light, Blade bursts into the vampire archives, finding the vampire bible written on human skin in blood about La Magra, the vampire god. A little kid, played by Ebony Adams, skips around the vampire pages and then, once found by Blade, kicks his ass and it turns out she's a multiple level martial artist, martial artist even. In walks Frost Goons, led by Quinn, as Blade fights them off, smashing every glass-paned vampire page along the way. And this must have been fun to do, but a nightmare to clean up and film. Quinn gets the upper hand by staking Blade to a pillar with one of his own silver stakes. However, when some idiot goon tries to stick him with his own sword, it sets off the booby trap and he loses a hand. Whistler bows to the ball, saving Karen and Blade last minute as all three run through the subway systems. Note the subway escape cost $150,000 to CGI and took nearly a year to complete. My, has CGI came a long way since 1998, my lord. Whistler plants a bomb which blows up what's left of the archives as Blade and Karen escape. As Whistler escapes down the sewers, Karen is knocked onto the railway tracks, or subway tracks even. So Blade faces Quinn, running Quinn's face into the speeding train and then cuts off his hand. Blade escapes on the back of the subway train as Frost goons catch up, including fashionable dressed Mercury, dressed in hot pants, uh, a long overcoat and moon boots. How very bloody 90s is I, fit love. Hmm. It is here Karen finds out Blade isn't entirely human as he injects himself with serum. Cut to Whistler in voiceover mode, telling us Blade's backstory about how he was a daywalker, a half-human, half-vampire, with all their powers and weaknesses, only the thirst, hence the serum. We also get Whistler's backstory about how a vampire drifter killed his wife and two daughters and left him for dead. So that's two backstories in one scene. Very nice of you, director, because these could have dragged on for fucking ten more minutes. Karen then tries to comfort Blade, but he hears none of it because all good superheroes must need to be good and brooding. Back at Frost penthouse, and why is it always a bloody penthouse of vampires? As Quinn gets patched up, Frost tells him he wants him alive. This pitches off Quinn even more, as this is the second hand he has lost to Blade. Then cut to Frost and Co at a beach at sunrise, as he pulls out Dragonetti's vampire fangs, and lets them burn up in the sunshine, Frost acting like a little brat here yet again. Frost heads back to the Vampire Council to take them all hostage as he puts his plan into action. The next morning, Blade hands Whistler a small piece of the Vampire Bible, which he can read. How? Never mind the fact that it took Frost years to read this long dead language, or the fact it's on a small, teeny little piece of paper that just so happens to tell him the entire plot. Hmm, convenience much. Telling him about the Blood God Lamagra. Blade then hands him the computer hard drive he took from Pearl, then notices Karen has set up shop with hospital technology she stole. She then shows him her studies and how an anti-blood clotting drug 
can make vampire blood explode. She then takes some of Blade's blood to experiment on and then asks if Whistler is dying. Well, no shit, love. He smokes like a fucking Jimmy and knockbacks Jack Daniels like there's no tomorrow. Plus, he has a bum leg and he's in his fucking 70s, so hmm. Blade says, yes, he is dying of cancer. Cut to Karen not healing correctly as her bite wound oozes blood. Whistler then just walks in and tells her she has two days to live. Hmm, tops. Nice of him there. Cut to a weird slow mo shot. God, this guy really loves his slow mo. Thankfully, he hasn't worked since the disaster that was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the movie that killed John Connery's movie career. As Frost holds a small hostage and a little girl to talk to Blade all about joining him, which she refuses, so Frost throws her into traffic, snapping the weird slow motion effect. By the way, this is in broad daylight, and this was Stephen Dorf's first day, as he and Snipes did not get on one little bit. One thing I never got about this scene is sometimes the humans are walking normal and other times they're walking in slow motion. How is this happening? Is Frost somehow slowing down time? It doesn't actually say, but this is also a bloody ripoff of The Matrix, as it has bullet time, well, actually the Matrix this thing off with bullet time. Hmm. Back with Whistler, as Karen explains, she may have a cure for vampirism, but not Blade, as it is in his DNA. Just then, Frost goons show up and attack Whistler, taking Karen hostage. Blade returns, finding the place trashed and Whistler badly beaten, with the videotape stuck to him. Whistler comes to, telling Blade about the vampire blood god and how Frost needs his blood to bring forth the Armageddon. Whistler shoots himself in the face with Blade's gun. Blade watches the tape. So... This sets him into full rumble mode as he makes silver bullets, arms up with the anti-clotting blood, destroys his bonsai route for some reason, which he meditates to, and he rides off on his custom-made motorbike. Back at Frost penthouse, he tells Karen his plan as Karen snipes at him. This makes the brat snap and blah blah blah, blood god blah 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 blah, earth is finished, or humans are finished rather. Hmm. This guy needs every squid inch of his ass kicked. Blade breaks in and we get another strike against Matrix as there's a shootout in a concrete reception hall. Okay, it doesn't have bullet time or any of the flippy bullshit, but still, come on, really? Blade takes on two bodyguards, which he quickly deals with and sticks them with the anti-clotting drug. They then explode in bad 90s CG. Blade finds Frost's coffin bed with his bride in it and surprise, it's his mother! So, Frost is his stepfather? Frost then jumps Blade and shocks him to unconsciousness, knocking him out. In the back of a van, Blade asks Karen for the cure. However, she says if it works, he'll lose all of his superpowers. Once outside the Vampire Temple in downtown Los Angeles, of all places, they're dragged inside where Blade is placed in a bloodletting coffin and Karen is fed to a vampire zombie creature, which is actually her ex. As Frost monologues to Blade about how he's such a failure in life, just killed a smuggled brat already. Blade promises to kill him, but good. Frost takes away all the vampire elders, putting his plan into action. So he throws Karen into the pit to be eaten by her zombie vampire ex, the guy from the morgue that is, which she easily kills with a rib bone to the face. Hmm, it's much for this being an ultimate zombie killing machine then. Back with Blade, as he's placed in the bloodletting coffin and drained as 12 elders are placed under 12 different glyphs and then fed Blade's blood. This rips out their vampire souls. Karen gets Blade out of the coffin and he feeds on her. This instantly gives him super strength, but it's too late. Frost is turned into the vampire blood god as the CG blood drips to his head. Lightning, and why the fuck's always lightning? hits the building and this causes all 12 vampire elders to be pulled out of their bodies, giving Frost the power of the blood god. In some terrible late 90s CGI, the 11 vampire souls all go into Frost, not 12, as the dumb blonde girlfriend kicked and killed an elder before this started. Maybe this is why Blade kills him so easily. As Blade stakes his mother with Karen's thigh bone stake, Blade finally comes to after his mother it takes a full minute to die, really. Any other time they blow up instantly, but she takes a bloody minute to die. Mm. He quickly kills Quinn by cutting his 
head off of the piano wire on his boat-proof vest. And why the fuck didn't we do this earlier in the movie? He then gets his sunglasses back and Q90's techno as he kills waves after wave of goons before he heads to the Ed boss. As this is happening, Karen takes on Frost's girlfriend Mercury with a shotgun. She's still earlier, however, misses all nine shots, so Mercury kicks her ass until Karen sprays her with the vampire mace into her throat as her head explodes in a cheap effect. So after Blade kills like 50 goons, it's finally on Blade versus Frost, with some lame sword fighting and I swear to god it looks like Dwarf is swishing around a plastic lightsaber, Blade cuts him in two. However, with the power of bad CG, he becomes whole again. So a now shirtless Steven Dorf has super speed dodge ability and kicks Blade's ass until Blade notices his anti clotting blood clotting drugs stuck in a wall. He throws his sword up to it and it springs opened with the barbed wire booby trap and Blade throws six anti clotting blood type thingy into Blade into Frost's body, killing him in some really piss poor CG explosion. And thankfully, this was actually a Stephen Dorfing, because apparently the original thing was a blood hurricane type thing, which was a complete utter hideous thing. It's on the DVD disc, so thankfully they cut that bit. Anyway, with that, he and Karen heads off into the early sunrise. Blade refuses to take the cure, but asks for some new serum. Cut to Moscow months later, as Blade kills a Moscow vampire hooker as credits roll into some bad late 90s techno. So that was Blade, Marvel's first superhero movie for the new generation, very 90s, and has some truly awful CGI. However, as cheesy as parts of this movie is, it still holds up. So if you're in the mood for some cheesy 90s action movies, stick this one on. Snipes finally gets himself into the action ghetto with this. I'm going to give this thing a hearty 7 out of 10. So stay right there for Blade 2. On to Blade 2, coming out in the height of the Matrix copycats. I had no interest in seeing this movie, in fact I had to be dragged to see this, as I don't like the Matrix movies and don't think they deserve the hype and the praise that were heaped up on them, they were just lame ass action movies. So for saying that, here is my look at Blade 2, coming out 4 years after Blade and as I said, sadly this falls into the Matrix copycats, as in Blade, the Matrix seemed to rip this one off, now this one's ripping off the Matrix. With the mild success of Blade making $20 million profit, and as I says, kicking off this new generation of Marvel movies, we're now well underway to Marvel becoming a huge juggernaut. After the failures of Captain America 90, Fantastic Four 94, and Punisher 89. So let's dive into Blade 2, starring Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, Ron Perlman, Leonor Vieira, Norman Reedus, and Luke Goss, directed by Guillermo del Toro. At the plot, Vampire Hunter Blade has to team up with the Vampire Council's Slayers to take on a new breed of vampires, killing both human and vampires alike. Can this uneasy alliance last, or is mankind finally doomed? And usually, I do these reviews with the director's commentary running in the background, if the disc has it that is. However, I find this commentary to be really annoying, as all they do is crack bad jokes, so I'm doing this without it. The movie opens up yet again with no the new line cinema and no flipping Marvel pages. On to a homeless man heading to a Prague blood bank during which he meets Jared Nomark, played by Luke Goss of 80s British pop band Bros, with such hits as When Will I Be Famous and right here is why I cannot take this movie bloody seriously. Anyway, back to the movie, he's taken down to the bowels of the blood bank which is run by vampires thinking they have the upper hand until he bites and kills these two quote doctors and security guard revealing his Resident Evil style inner mouth that weird flower thing, tongue thing that was in Resident Evil 2 and 3 and actually all of the movies then we get a voiceover from Blade once again played by Wesley Snipes and flashbacks to the first movie after all it's only been 4 short years it's not like we were fans and we could not have rented the DVD or video as Blade explains when he first met Whistler. So we get shots of a cutscene with a very young Blade and Whistler, and then in the voiceover cutscene slash army up scene, we are told two years earlier Whistler was turned into a vampire by Frost, yet 
in Blade 1, it is it was implied that Whistler blew his head off. So what the hell happened there? And now Blade is hunting for him. Yet, in the voiceover, it also states he met Whistler 20 years earlier in 1981, making this 2001, not 2000, but hey-ho, moving on. We then see a group of vampires running away from Blade in his fantastic new full-length leather jacket with a red lining as he guns down the hapless vamps with his shiny new gun. Note, it is not his modified Uzi from the previous movie, but these are two shiny new guns. Some get away on their motorbikes, however Blade has blocked the only way out with his car, so he base jumps out of the building in some really bad CGI Blade effects that would make Spider-Man 2003 and Daredevil 2004 blush. He then fires his big gun and guess what? Bullet time! Yay! So this is the start of the Matrix bandwagon jumping on and we are only 6 minutes in. Did I mention I cannot stand the Matrix movies? In some bad CGI, the vampires burst into ashes. Meanwhile, the others charge him on their motorbikes as they dodge blades batarang and one is quickly taken care of by a bad CGI blade leaping over the motorbike and he's quickly killed. One of them is held over a spinning motorbike wheel and is pumped for information on Whistler's whereabouts. Cut to some drug sniffing vampire goons at the safe house which are all turned to ash as Blade shows off his new toys. All the while the vampire he got the information from is stunned in the corner after being used as a human shield, well vampire shield. One thing I also wanted to know is why do the clothes burn up when they're turned to ash? Hmm. He leaves his human shield vampire behind and lets him go, heads into the safe house to rescue Whist to rescue Whistler. Once again played by Chris Christopherson, as he loses him from his whiskey vat glass coffin type thingy, and instead of sticking him, he takes him home. Driving back to his Prague warehouse hideout, we meet joint smoking twelve in total, Scud put by the Walking Dead Norman Reedus, as we find out he's the new quartermaster. Blade and Scud drag the vampiric whistler into a safe room and Blade injects him with the retrovirus and I'm guessing he got from Karen who is nowhere to be seen in this movie and in fact is not even bloody mentioned, so much for her being the love of his life. And it tells him when the sun arises, no matter what, this room will be flooded with daylight so he better pray it bloody works. Blade returns to his meditation room where he has his old gun in his hand and he sits there holding the gun as we get a flashback to Whistler just before he supposedly blew his head off. He then returns to Whistler in the morning and would you know it, he's perfectly fine. The antivirus works. Or retrovirus rather worked. They have a heart to heart in a bathroom with Blade telling him he hunted for him over most of Eastern Europe to find him for years. One dainty wee thing here. This is supposed to be America or Prague because when they return to the safe house, Whistler finds his wedding wedding ring behind a set of scales. How the fuck can that be there if he's supposed to be in Prague and not America? Whistler moans like the vampires could have at least have healed his bloody leg, as he still has a bum leg. Whistler meets Scud as he's fixing the car while smoking a joint and watching the Powerpuff Girls, how very early noughties. Unsurprisingly, Whistler and Scud clash over the cards the car's modifications. The warehouse is attacked by vampires as they take down the safe house's high-tech for the time security. Blade runs off for his sword as Whistler grabs a high-powered assault rifle, knocking Scud down when he rejects to this. The ninja vampires attack wearing full body suits and night vision goggles. Why? Aren't they vampires? Why the fuck would they need night vision goggles? Scud hits the spotlights and I swear when I first saw us in the cinema, I thought they were going to start singing and breaking to a Britney Spears dance routine. The, the fight is on between the sword-wielding vampire ninjas and Blade as he is yet to unsheath his sword. Another one joins the fight, so Blade pulls out his sword and he fights them off. And I'm impressed with this. It's in-camera stunts and not too much flippy shit or bad CGI. Scratch that, when I do use the CGI, it looks like fucking shit. Once Blade gets the better of the both vampire ninjas, one shouts out truce, and why the fuck didn't it shout truce straight away instead of possibly getting killed? We find out he is called Asad, played by Red Dwarf's Danny John Jules, and she is Nissa, played by Leona Vera, and they're from the Vampire Council, which needs Blade's help immediately. Cut to Team Blade being helicoptered to the Vampire Council, and yes you've guessed it, 
Scud smokes a joint. During the helicopter ride, Nissa scoffs at how easy Blade came along with her until he shows her he is wearing a suicide vest, saying enough explosives to take out several blocks. In the Vampire Council headquarters, they're taken to see the Nosferatu looking head vampire, Dimanascos, played by Thomas Critcherman, who later on to play Strucker in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In walks his human helper, Cronon, played by Carl Rodin, who went on to play Rasputin in Hellboy. He thanks Blade for killing Frost, by the way, because Frost was nothing but a little brat. Dimanos... Dimanoscus... Oh, the fuck, she's this bloody thing. Fuck, I'm gonna call him it. Nasferatu, because his name's a fucking pain arse to pronounce. Tells Blade about the Resident Evil... Oh, sorry. Reapers strain of new vampires. And with that, Cronin shows Blade a micro disc of Nomark's attack in the bloodbath. Blood bank even. Blade says so what? Until it's pointed out the people Nomark eat turns into these weird reaper vampires and these are pretty much unkillable. Also, this virus spreads like wildfire. They return to the warehouse where Blade points out they will stab him in the back as soon as they get the upper hand. However, he'll get deeper into the vampire world and just how much deeper does he bloody well need? He is a fucking vampire himself. Scud plants a seed of doubt about Whistler because guess what? He's a mole. Even in 2004, when I first saw this viewing, I knew he was a bad guy. No mark. Then eats a street drug dealer as his homeless army get their fill too. Blade is showing hitting up because I guess Karen never helped him with his thirst then as Nissa walks in telling Blade about her hit squad, the Blood Pack, are awaiting. We are then introduced to the Blood Pack and all the bunch of Matrix rejects weirdos realness. And I'll just concentrate on Renard, played by Ron Perman, Hellboy himself and Priest, played by Tony Curran of Underworld fame because frankly the rest are just a bunch of red shirts. Note, Ron Perman never removes his sunglasses. Blade quickly puts the racist Renard in his place by literally slapping him around and then plants a bomb in the back of his head. After that, the blood plaque with a really fucking ridiculous name fall in line. This takes him to a vampire nightclub, the House of Pain. Really, who the fuck named that Lady Gaga? Blade points out there's no glyphs, so she hands him some night vision goggles and showing him the glyphs are UV, or what the hell night vision goggles are, as they had to change stuff up because he's a vicious nasty slayer. Some new toys are handed out, including garlic tipped bullet firing guns, EDTA tipped wrist gauntlets, which is that blood anti-coagulating blood thing from the previous movie, that fires silver knives and a new UV light machine guns that fire the garlic tipped silver bullets with Whistler on a rooftop with a sniper and scud in a van the blood pack head in. Cue slow-mo walking a reservoir dog style as terrible naughty rap plays down the go into the underground rave playing terrible dance music straight out of the bloody matrix. Blade plants mini cameras which Scud watches in the van and yep, he has another bloody joint. And yet they say marijuana is not addictive. Hmm. According to the one piece of interesting information I got from behind the scenes, this dance hall part took 20 days to shoot and each and every one of the kids came back in all 20 days. In the sewers, nomads, reapers await to attack. Nissa checks out the upstairs rooms in another piece of information I got from behind the scenes. This was supposed to be a Michael Jackson cameo, um, as he wanted to be a vampire in this movie, as he loved a blade. But he had to pull out due to the fact that he did not like the way he was written into this movie, as he is seen playing with children's intestines in bags. So this was replaced by a Romanian actor, and this was ultimately cut, so it was a completely pointless bloody piece of information. The blood pack split up, and they're stalked by the Reapers. As in the van, Scud gets attacked and barely gets away. Nissa heads into the attic as Blade checks out the kinky sex rooms. With the attic empty, Nissa plants cameras as she is jumped by Nomad. Or No... No Mark? I wanted to call him Nomad, it'd be bloody easier. Meanwhile, in the basement, the bald one of the blood pack with his face tattoo is stalked and jumped by a reaper and is bitten. Blade finds Nomad holding Nissa captive, so he blows him in a head at close point range with no effect. The Reapers attack the rave and the blood pack barely escape. 
here we find out these things are almost unkillable as dozens of vampires fall in the crossfire. Priest gets eaten, I guess Tony Curtin had to be running off to film Underworld, a franchise I covered earlier this year, check out my SoundCloud archives. As we see the full Resident Evil, a franchise I covered earlier this year also, check out my podcast archives again. Zombie mouth tongue thingy, as Scud barely escapes when he's attacked by five reapers. He finally gets the UV lights on in the van and this kills them all, so sunlight is the only thing that kills them in. Not silver, not a stake, not a bullet to the head, only daylight. Whistler shows up from nowhere, at planting a red herring as Renard kills one slowly, pinning it to a wall and then burning it with the UV light. With the sun arising, Blade hunts down Nomad to an old church and cue some kind of cool hand-to-hand combat, scored with some terrible naughty's techno. Blade sticks him with the EDTA, but this has little to no effect, so Nomad fights off Blade with a metal rod ever runs off when the sun hits him in his face. Blade gets pissed at Nyssa for not telling him everything, such as the Reapers are almost unkillable. One of the remaining Blood Pack fills Priest of Bullets, but this has little to no effect, so Renard slices his head opened and still no effect, Blade blows a hole in a wall and the sun pours in and this burns up Priest's body, leaving behind a small piece of blinking head. Scud brings in Whistler at gunpoint, saying he ran off, planting more doubt. Nope, you're still the bad guy mate, not him. However, Whistler shows him the reaper he caught. Nyssa takes it into study, as we are shown Kernan questioning the Nosferatu wannabe, if Blade can be trusted with him, saying not to worry, the inside man knows everything and the plan is going as the way it was planned. Blade points out the Reapers are dying and must feed every two hours, however Nomad is different and he must die because he's the original one. With the Reaper dead, Nyssa cuts it open to find out what it looks like in the inside, finding the heart is encased in bone and only vulnerable from this side. Scud looks around the scrapyard to find stuff to make a UV bomb. Whistler helps Scud make UV grenades and we get his backstory of how he met Blade and with that the two bond as the grenade is indeed a success. They load up the truck as the blood pack, armed with some shitty rap playing in the background, all with the new toys, and then they head out. And why the fuck were these new toys not used um, during the rave scene is beyond me. The seeds of doubt that Scud planted are now coming to fruition, as Blade doesn't trust Whistler. A fully saying, keep your friends close, but your enemies even closer. With the sun arising, Blade and Co head into the sewer to wipe out the Reaper nest. They split up into three teams. Blade goes with Nyssa and Assad. Whistler goes with Renard and his boyfriend slash buddy. As the one has bitten in the basement of the club that hid it from the rest of the group, takes his girlfriend and the one talking Asian guy, which he kills by turning into a Reaper. Renard turns on Whistler and gets his boyfriend to kick his ass as he planted the bomb. So as he plants the bomb, as Renard plants the bomb, he is jumped by a group of rapers. Blade finds kids' bones lying around and figures this is a feeding ground. But it's too late, as Assad is taken a torn apart by a group of rapers. Nissar runs off as Blade throws a grenade, and this takes out a group of rapers, about 15 of them. Whistler plants the reaper pheromones, which is taken from the dead reaper's body, as Renard's boyfriend gets sprayed with his stuff, they rip him apart and Whistler has to run for it. Blade and Nyssa regroup and run from the pack too. Renard runs from the pack chasing him into Blade and Blade throws another grenade. This takes out that one's chasing them and in a replay from one of the scenes of Resident Evil 1, Blade runs onto the sewer pipes where Renard left the malfunctioning bomb. Luckily he gets it to work and blows up the entire hive. Whistler is caught by Nomark and tells him the Nosferatu wannabe is indeed his father. Very Star Wars here, a franchise I covered last month. Blade returns to Nyssa, finding her half dead as he gives her some of his blood which saves her, however, the Vampire Council stun him from behind and takes him in. So, you're trying to say to me, this gigantic bomb takes out all these Reapers, and Nyssa and Renard are caught in the explosion, yet Nyssa has not a scratch on her, but she just faints and almost dies. Yeah, moving on. It's here, the Nosferatu wannabe tells Blade, no mark was an experiment gone awry. 
but he'll make the perfect vampire as he shows Blades hundreds of baby fetuses. It turns out the wannabe Nosferatu took a page out of Davros's book as each is made from a single cell from his own body. And surprise, here we find out Scud is the more well no shit Sherlock. Oh yeah, and Renard is still alive, just very badly burnt. Bullshit, he got the full brunt of that explosion. Blade, however, was on to this the whole time as he blows Scud up using Renard's bomb, which Renard removed from the back of his head. Blade is taken down by security as Renard takes Whistler away. It turns out they need Blade's blood to make the new vampires able to walk in sunlight, so he's taken to another bloodletting chamber as Cronon experiments on him. No mark, a breaks into the vampire council, killing all the humans as Whistler kills Renard off camera. Come on, really? He gets killed off camera? Mm. Then crawls under the flooring to kill Kernan and releases Blade, with Nomak killing everything Nisser and her father have to run away. While Whistler takes Blade to a, the bloodbath, which is in the middle of the room for some reason, this huge pool of blood is in the middle of the room for no reason, he dumps him in it and he comes out with Super Blade, who finally kills Renard, but I thought Whistler killed him moving on. But not before taking on waves of security guards by splitting Renard in two with his sword. Blade gets his sunglasses back as Whistler blows up the baby fetuses. Nyssa turns on her father as Nomark bites him. He then dies, turning him into stone for some reason. Nomark bites Nyssa as Blade comes down from the rafters. It is on Blade versus Nomark 2. Blade sticks him with his sword, but it has no effect. More hand-to-hand -hand combat fighting later with some terrible CGI Blade and Nomark. A couple of wrestling moves because this was 2002 and wrestling was a huge thing. Blade has no choice but to snap Nomad's arm which he instantly heals. So Blade tries some spin kicks however he is throwing around the room and ragdolled by getting bounced off all the columns in the room and off the floor multiple times. Blade finds a sword as Nomark monologues about how he is the, the new breed of vampire and Blade is nothing. As Nyssa bleeds out, he stabs him in his side and slices his heart in two, killing this annoying vampire and indeed this bloody movie. With 10 minutes left, how the fuck does this movie have 10 minutes left? Blade carries Nyssa into the sunlight and she burns up, killing this vampire strain. Cut to London and Blade finds the guy from the start of the movie in a peep show and kills him with a sword to the head as credits roll. So that was Blade 2, far too long for its own good. Even though Del Toro talks about how much he cut from the movie, this could have been cut by at least 10 minutes. It just drags on. And like the mix of dummies and CGI, also the hand-to-hand -hand stuff and no flippy shit as seen in the Matrix, however, the CGI is news is piss poor, it looks like PlayStation 2 graphics, the story is poor, and the twist can be seen a mile off. I'm going to give this thing 4 out of 10, so stay put for Blade 3. On to the third and final movie to date, Blade Trinity, coming out two years after the mild success of Blade 2, and I do mean mild success, only made $18 million, with its biggest budget yet of $65 million. Here it is, David S. Goyer's Eagle Trip, and I kid you not, this movie was made just because Goya wanted his favourite stuff from the previous movies, which were cut for budgetary reasons, as put into this movie, as this is all I got from the boring hour and 50 minutes of special features on a DVD. Now don't get me wrong, I do love special features on Blu-rays and DVDs, but not as if it's boring ass ego driven bullshit like this thing was. So after getting dragged to see Blade 2 two years earlier, I dragged my mate to see this, thinking this will be a turkey, and as this indeed is for the worst of the franchise. However, does it deserve this reputation as that? This is what here I am here to find out. So with that, let's dive into a new vampire movie for the new millennium that made Dracula hip and cool. Starring Wesley Snipes, Ryan Reynolds, Jessica Biel, Parker Posey, Dominic Purzel, and Chris Christopherson, directed by David S. Goyer. Uh, the plot, half vampire, half human vampire hunter, Blade, is wanted by the FBI, so has to team up with a group of wise-cracking punk slayers to take on Dracula. Can he win, or is the Prince of Darkness too strong? The movie opens up with the New Line Cinema logo, red of course, and the Marvel flippy pages. Yay! Finally! Three movies in, and we have the Marvel flippy pages. Then a shot of CGI blood, and a voiceover from Ryan Reynolds taking pot shots at Hammer Horrors, saying, 
vampire was always thought to be this dusty old English actor and killed off by some dustier old English actor, blah 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 blah. It is then shown a shot of the Syrian desert where a small group of commandos have found Dracula's final resting place. No, not a dusty old castle, but a pyramid in the middle of a bloody desert. Yeah, he's a vampire, so why the fuck would he have a pyramid in the middle of a desert? Hello, sunlight. These are led by Danica Talos, played by Parker Posey of Scream 3 and many indie movies, also TV such as Will and Grace. Her brother, Asher Talos, played by Calm Rennie, of many TV shows including Battlestar Star Galactica and the muscle of the group, Jarko Grimwood, played by WWE's favourite bullying barrier, Triple H, and some red shot that dies anyway. They are dressed head to toe in camouflage because the dimension these are vampires as one gives the finger to the sun. And right here, this is why Goya should not have been given the reins to this movie. Because his jokes are fucking terrible. And I think the reason why he was given this role as director as nobody bloody wanted it because his script was fucking awful. As did I mention, David S. Goya done this from his first draft, not a rewrite, it was his first draft. Anywho, they find Dracula, oh sorry, Drake, because you've got to be hip and cool for the kids, played by Dominic Purzel of Prison Break fame and Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, by the way, this set looks cheap, and in a way it looks like stone, which it's supposed to be, but it just looks like cheaply covered polystyrene with sand. Where the fuck did the 65 million budget go? So once Dracula has eaten the red shirt, he arises, looking like a zombie shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then onto a shot of an unnamed city as Blade once again played by Wesley Snipes. And according to the intimate database, Snipes hated this movie and most of the cast. Also he refused to talk to Goyer, so much so he would only talk to him via post-it notes. This was because he hated the fact that he only has a hundred lines of dialogue in this entire movie and he felt like there were too many new characters added in as he was shoehorned in. Anyway, Blade blows up the vampire safe house and up comes the titles and Blade kills vampires fleeing with his new toy, a Castlevania style whip knife. After he blows up everything, the other thing I got from the special features is that Goya loves explosions. He gives chase to the two vampires who are fleeing on bikes, as in an 18-wheeler, Whistler, once played by Chris Christopherson, is in radio contact. It is here the chase from Blade 2 is inserted, as Blade's dodge flies out the back of an 18-wheeler and chases down vampires through a tunnel. So Blade chases them down, killing one with a shotgun blast to the face as he rams him off the bike into the back of his car. The other one is blasted through the windshield and is dusted onto the bus. And I got to say, the editing in this thing is for shit, with fast forward moment, jump cuts and terrible CG fucking eye. Uh, the final two are in a car which is killed by the UV headlights in Blade's Dodge Charger. And the other one is shot after a car crash slash car chase. It turns out he is human and this is all caught on tape by vampires as recording from a skyscraper. And this is bullshit because the fucking camcorders would not be well, moving on. Did I mention? It's a trap! Blade is now hunted by the FBI, wanted for murder. His hideout is hit by an FBI hit squad and Whistler is killed after he wipes out all the PCs of all the information about Blade and the vampires and whatever the hell else Blade's into. As he sets off baby traps, Blade is taken in. Before Whistler is killed, he hands Blade his new inhaler serum, saying friends made this, hinting at the Night Stalkers. In the FBI HQ, FBI agent Cumberland, played by James Rimar of Sex and City fame, watches the tape as it is all plastered over the news. He is then taken down to Blade's hideout. Another fact, the FBI wanted poster says Blade is only 5'9", where Wesley Snipes is supposed to be 6 feet. In their penthouse hideout, and why again, why is it always bloody penthouse hideouts with vampires, Danaga tries to get a Dracula to help her kill Blade, but all he's interested to do is feeding. In fact, he has eaten 6 people, including a small child. And what is about these movies and killing small children? And according to the behind the scenes, each one of Parker Posey's outfits were custom made and cost thousands of dollars. I'm guessing this is what a budget went to then. During feeding, we see Drake has the blade to vampire mouth, but how can this be if he's the original vampire 
and it is stated in Blade 2 this was an experiment going wrong. But hey ho, who gives a shit? This was the first draft, as I mentioned, so why the fuck should I care if Goyer didn't care about fucking continuity, the fucking idiot? Cut to Dr. Vance, played by John Higgins, being interviewed on TV by some low-rent wannabe Larry King, as he claims Blade is nuts and vampires are not real. Also on this TV show is Chief of Police Verdi, played by Mark Berry. He also shoots down the claims of vampires and saying that Blade is a sociopath. Cut to Abigail Whistler, played by Jessica Biel of Texas Jones Massacre, remake fame, as she is stalked by a gang of vampire skateboard punks, which she kills after a mistake her for just being a hapless woman, with her own toys, including a Rosa Klebb-style knife shoe, which is completely impractical, and a UV light arc thing. Very Star Wars, a franchise I covered last month. By the way, which one of Whistler's daughters is this? Is this the one that was turned by the vampire drifter, as mentioned in Blade 1? Hmm. According to the behind the scenes, she does 80% of her own stunts and all of her archery firing was all done by her. She had three months of weight training and kickboxing training to get herself into shape and she is indeed down to 4% of body fat. So in a flurry of choppy editing and a bad techno rave underscore music, music underscore rather, she dusts well, ashes off these punks and seconds proving she is a badass onto Blaze a waterfront complex getting attacked by the feds. As in a flurry of gunfire and a few explosions, Whistler is killed and Blade is caught. We're 25 minutes into this movie and this is about the 100th explosion. Did Goya go to Michael Bay school bloody directing, I must know. He's taken in and adjured by the feds, not believing Blade's story of vampires, in mocks Dr. Vance and wouldn't you know it, he and the chief of police are familiars, as in mocks Daniker and her crew to take Blade in. Big twist there then, woo, familiars in fucking the police, or whatever. Luckily, the Night Stalkers, an awful fucking name, led by Whistler Jr. and Hannibal King, played by Ronald Reynolds, that's Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool himself, and indeed, Green Lantern, rescue him in a huge shootout. It took me three movies to notice that the tattoos on Blade's neck are actually tattoos and not his hair shaved on as I thought previously. So, Hannibal smashes a dusted vampire through the Tubi mirror, gives Blade his serum, Inhaler thingy, he gets his ass kicked by Triple H. Fuck it, I know his name is Grimwood, but that is a ridiculous name, so I'm going to call him Triple H. With his ridiculous platinum fangs. Why the fuck would he have platinum fangs? Ugh. And according to Intimate Video Database, this was all done in camera, and Snipes and Reynolds had no stuntmen, which is utter bullshit. A big shootout later between Triple H's goons, the FBI and the Night Stalkers, with Whistler Jr. showing off her archery skills and her new toys, such as silver-filled explosive arrowheads, drilling arrowheads, tipped with silver, etc, etc, all scored to terrible mid-noughties trance music. They barely escape as Blade superhero lands in front of them with his shiny new sword. Another car chase later in the Night Stalkers SUV as Whistler sticks Triple H with an arrow to the eye and not the knee. They take him to their hideout and meet the rest of the family in between Ryan Reynolds' terrible one-liners of dicks, played by Ron Seymour, Hedges, played by Hollywood's favourite geek, Patton Oswalt, Blind Quartermaster Summerfield, played by Natasha Leone of Orange New Black and American Pie fame, a franchise I'm covering next month. And finally, Summerfield's Rugrat Zoe, played by Ginger Bratch. And why the hell is there an eight-year-old girl in this movie? Shouldn't she be like 13 or something? It must be bloody useful to the plot, other than a damsel in distress. Blade doesn't want any of their help, calling them kids and rookies. And he hates Hannibal's one-liners until Abby tells him they're his backup, like it or not, and Hannibal shows him he was a former vampire familiar with Danica's tattoo on his pubic area. Cut to Danica having a hissy fit as she kicks one of her vampire aides in the face, back at the penthouse, that is, as Drake, in his new douchebag outfit, says he will now join the fight. So we're 40 minutes into an hour and 50 minute movie, and the plot finally kicks in, as Abigail tells Blade, Dracula, oh sorry, Drake has arisen, as we hear Hannibal's sad backstory of him being Danica's fuckboy vampire, sex slave type thing. Hmm. Anyway, Drake is real, 
and has arisen and cut to Dracula's badly CG animated backstory of how he's always been in the background of changing human history and he is the first of his kind. Then why the fuck does he have the Blade 2 Resident Evil mouth then, you fucking idiots? Then one day he stopped. What did he get bored and just give up? Cut to douchebag Drake. What a fucking terrible. Just call him Dracula. Actually, no, don't bother calling him Dracula. He's too much of a douchebag to be called Dracula with his exposed chest. Douchebag haircut and tacky ass jewellery, including a fucking crucifix. Oh, yes, and topped off with leather trousers. Uh, Slow mo walking down the street into a vampire shop where he is disgusted to find out vampires are a joke and humans love them. Well, early to mid noughties ones, did anyway, as today it's all zombies. So he decides to eat them. And by the way, did I mention this was all daylight scenes as cheap ray light effects happen yet again? And I would be pissed off too if I was Dracula and I walked into a shop selling dildos with my face on it and other such tacky items such as Count Chocular fucking breakfast cereal. Luckily, they didn't sell Twilight movies as he would have ape shit and killed everybody in the vicinity. Back with Blade, as the Night Stalkers show him their final plan, Aerial Virus, they're calling it Daystar. I guess Paul W.S. Anderson watched this and took notes for this as the exact same ending as Resident Evil, this ritual virus can turn them back from being humans to being from vampires to being humans, as the same thing happens with zombies to being humans in Resident Evil, the final chapter. Spoiler alert for that one, by the way. However, they need Dracula's pure blood to make it work, hence why they need Blade to take him on. Cut to a bunch of new toys being handed out, including a electronic gun that fires UV bullets, a triple barrel shotgun that fires stakes or mini rockets with number bloody news in this movie. And Whistler Jr's UV arc, which she says is half as hot as the sun. And how the fuck can she hold this thing then if it's half as hot as the sun? The next morning, Abigail, Blade and Hannibal track down familiars. As it shows Abigail making playlists for her first generation iPod. One of dozens of Apple products scattered throughout this bloody movie. We get it, Goyer, you're an Apple fanboy. Cut to a montage of familiars getting their ass handed to them until Blade finally finds out one and literally yo-yos him on a string. A piece of rope, actually. It turns out he is one of Dr. Vance's patients. Handy that, and also convenient much. Dr. Vance calls him on his cell phone and cut to Vance's office. However, it's too late. Drake has killed him, so Blade chases him on rooftops until Drake steals a baby and throws it to Blade. Then he monologues. During the fight with Drake, Hannibal is stuck and staked one of well, one of his own stakes to the shoulder, putting him out of commission for most of this bloody movie. Scratch that, not only does Blade and Co walk into the doctor's office armed to the fucking teeth in blood, broad daylight, but he chases Drake down the streets in broad, broad daylight also. So no one calls the cops after his face is plastered over the TV then, as he's the most wanted criminal in FBI history at one point, as it says in the movie. But anyway, God doesn't care, so why the fuck should I care? Back to Drake's monologue about how he is the first vampire and Blade will die by his sword, blah blah blah. Back to the Night Stalker HQ, we hear Whistler Senior talking to Kara, remember her? She's not even mentioned this bloody movie either, about the drifter vampire killing his family. So now Whistler Junior is psychic all of a sudden? Hmm. Also, padding much? This movie is long enough as it is without this bloody five minutes useless padding scene. She then cries in the shower, and I guess that'll keep the horny teen boys happy then, as she's butt naked. Tucked up in bed is Hannibal, watching some weird Shatner movie with the same made up language as it is in this movie. Cut to that night as Blade and Abigail take down the vampire final solution, aka a warehouse full of humans in jiffy bags kept alive while being drained of their blood. This is the other scene that Goyer insisted in adding, which was supposed to be in Blade 1, however was cut to being too expensive. So it's shoehorned into this movie, and I guess that's about a bloody budget went to then. Anyway, Blade uses the chief of police to enter the blood bank, and then blows it sky high and killing hundreds of thousands of homeless people. But why bother? They're all homeless people, they're fucking useless, right? Mm? Drake, in the meantime, tracks down the Night Stalker HQ. I'm guessing he got it from Hannibal's blood and slaughters them all, taking Hannibal and Zoe hostage. But why? As he's grabbing for Zoe, I haven't seen special effects this bad since No Nightmare, with Freddy going after Dylan in the oven, and that was 1994, 10 years earlier. 
I swear to God, did the budget just get sent on bloody Goyer's Eagle Trip? Parts when the movie wanted to be inserted in, Jesus Christ. Blade and Abigail return, finding the place trashed and a bloodbath as Abigail drops to her knees and screams to the sky. Back at the Vampire HQ, a shirtless and chained up Hannibal, I guess this will keep the gays and girls happy then, is awakened by Triple H's vampire Pomeranian dog, and why the fuck would you turn a Pomeranian dog into a vampire? He is then tortured by Danica, but all she gets is sassy one-liners from Hannibal. She then threatens to turn him again and have Zoe placed in the cell until he has to kill her as the thirst has taken over his body. She then sticks him in his wound with a stiletto on the utter bitch. Back at Night Stalker HQ, Abby is shown fixing her bow, which she fires, showing her clocking in over 242 feet per second. A Night Stalker sleeper cell shows up and shows Abigail a video message from Sunfield saying she finished the retrovirus but has only made one, but of course. Also, it needs to be mixed with Dracula's blood in order for it to work and may indeed kill Blade because he's half vampire. They have no idea what's going to go on because she didn't have time to test it. Cue an arming up scene as Blade, Abigail, head out into the vampire penthouse with the retrovirus arrow to finish this back Hannibal as Reynolds is showing off his new 86 pounds of muscled shirtless body and getting the crap beaten out of him all the while cracking wise still. Just then, Abigail fills the air conditioner with silver flecks, in falls Blade from the ceiling and knocks Triple H through the door, so Danica and her brother run off. More waves of goons for Blade to deal with, all scored with piss-poor techno-trance dance music. Abby breaks Hannibal free, just as Triple H wakes up and kicks his ass. I would have had it been snipe stick on Triple H, but never mind. Abby goes off to kick some security guard ass as Blade dusts vampires left, right and centre. Abby gets Zoe free for some reason. What the hell is she in this movie for? As she just disappears. Completely pointless. At least make her a teenager or have her not in this movie in the first place. Before Hannibal deals with Triple H, he has to deal with the guard dogs, including Triple H's Pomeranian and a Rottweiler, which of course are all vampiric. Why the fuck would you have vampire Rottweilers? I guess this is a nod to Resident Evil. He quickly deals with these by running them until they fail to stop and crash through the skyscraper windows and fall to their death. This pisses off Triple H and ass-kicking starts. I was never a Triple H fan. I always thought he was a bullying, burying douchebag who only got to power by marrying the boss's daughter. Poor China. R.I.P. After dealing with waves of goons, it is finally on Drake versus Blade in an epic sword-fighting duel, all done by Snipes and Perzrock into the behind the scenes. However, all the coolness is undercut by some lame techno music. After five boring minutes of hand-to-hand fighting with Hannibal and Triple H, including some wrestling moves, because guess what? He's a wrestler, folks! Yay! He finishes Triple H off with a UV bullet to the mouth, and boom, he blows up. Abby kills Danica's brother with an arrow to the side before he could take potshots at Blade, as he's still fighting off Drake with the sword. Then she kills two security guards with one shot, showing off her archery skills, with Danica taking pot shots at Abigail, and I would have had Abigail and Danica in a fan-to-hand fist fight, not Hannibal, or made Zoe a teenager and a not a little useless little girl, and then have her kill Danica, but knew I didn't write this movie, fucking Goya did, and made a piss-poor hack-up job of it is. Hannibal sideswipes Danica, and the two of them have a fist fight, as Blade and Drake's sword fight continues. God damn it, 10 more minutes of this fucking fight has continued. This thing goes on and on and on and on. Both men lose their sword, so Drake removes his armour, showing his final form, oh sorry, true form, which looks like a bloody common garden red devil with a ridiculous Resident Evil mouth. With that, Blade gets tossed around, so Abigail fires the Daystar arrow, and according to the Intimate database, she fired the arrow straight into the camera, destroying it, costing $300,000 from 50 feet away. Drake catches it in midair and just throws it away like the titlet he is, not smashing it or snapping it, he just drops it. So Blade stabs him with it. As the virus mixes with his blood, he spews out blood cells and dies, as Blade falls to his knees and dies also or I think falls to his knees as he's now spent. With the retrovirus airborne, airborne even, all the vampires die, including Danica, just in the nick of time as she was choking out Hannibal, so she dies in horrible pain. 
Drake dies slowly while monologuing to Blade, who is half conscious about how he is a new breed of vampire and the thirst will win out no matter what happens. With 10 minutes left, how the fuck does it have 10 minutes left? Abigail and Hannibal run, leaving Blade's dead body behind as the FBI show up, feigning vampires burning up in the sun. Cut to an autopsy room as Blade is lying there. Suddenly he transforms into Dracula to the stun feds as Hannibal voiceovers that Blade survives and he is indeed the saviour of mankind as he rides off into the night on top of his bike as a credits roll. So that wraps up Blade 3 and indeed wraps up the Blade franchise. This pretty much killed it. Not even the lame TV show which lasted less than a season could bring this thing back. So well done Goya. You have killed a comic book superhero. This movie is far too in love of itself for its own good. It is not hip, it is not cool, it is just too long and too fucking boring. The dialogue is utterly terrible, the CGI looks like it's bloody PlayStation 1 graphics, and this is just fucking awful. Lame jokes, lamer one-liners. This thing is a chore to get through, I'm going to give this thing a piss poor two out of 10. Anyway, thank you for listening to this mega podcast. These aren't usually this long. However, if you like this one, leave a like and follow on my SoundCloud. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod and email me what you thought of this podcast and move suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other franchise podcasts of Star Wars, Resident Evil, Underworld, Mad Max and many more. Also my solo podcasts of Aliens, Labyrinth, Donnie Darko, Batman Returns, Halloween and The Shining. July is American Pie, August is Hits of 87, 97 and 2007, September is Hannibal Lecter, October is Halloween, my look at the first three Hellraiser movies, November is bad video game movies such as Street Fighter and Tomb Raider, and December is Festival of Funnies and a bye, suckhead.